Welcome to NSI Live, the National Security Institute's podcast home for NSI's public events, limited series podcasts, and breaking news podcasts. To learn more about NSI and register for upcoming events, visit nationalsecurity.gmu.edu. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at MasonNatSec. Now, on with the show. Welcome to NSI Live, the National Security Institute's podcast home for events and miniseries. I'm Lester Munson, and I'll be your host for today. In this episode, we'll be discussing the latest news from Mozambique and getting expert analysis from Morgan Vigna, NSI Visiting Fellow and former Chief of Staff to Ambassador Nikki Haley at the U.S. Mission to the United Nations, and Nicole Ouellette, Chief of Staff at Open Society Foundations and former Director of African Affairs at the National Security Council. Morgan, Nicole, welcome to NSI Live. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me be here today. Great. Uh, So... There's a lot of uh, crazy news coming out of northern Mozambique. We're hearing of beheadings, jihadist action, the use of child soldiers, the deaths of civilians. The pace of attack seems to be quickening. There's talk of outside countries getting involved to try to remediate the situation. What's happening here? Sure. So uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, So what we're seeing in northern Mozambique and specifically Cabo Delgado um, is is a a, sort of a security crisis that's been in the works for a better part of a decade now. Um, early on in sort of 2010 or so, um, there were reports out of um, the north of, you know, this is Islamic group, sort of subgroup, um, sort of coming together. And um, it was originally referred to as um, Al-Shabaab, is what sort of it was known as locally, um, but is also referred to as ASWJ. And um, this group has sort of grown in size and things really started to uh, start escalating around 2015 or so. Um, you know, when I was a staffer on SFRC, traveled to Maputo on a staff del, and we had heard these rumblings um, and these reports coming out of the north that there was this escalation um, in Islamic activity. And um, it has only sort of grown from there, right? We've seen um, a real escalation in attacks in 2017, and that has continued um, more recently um, until late last month where we saw the seizure of, of Palma, um, and it took about 10 days for uh, government forces to retake it. Thanks. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Morgan said. And to add, you know, we have really all the ingredients of a fairly serious emerging conflict in this region. Cabo Delgado is the poorest uh, province in Mozambique, historically underdeveloped. Um, we have a government that is a central government in Maputo that is quite far away and that is known for uh, not being, shall we say, the most transparent in its approach, nor having the greatest security capabilities. We have a real resource depth. We have timber, gas, this LNG fine that we'll talk about. And increasingly, that has also turned to trafficking, not only in timber and gas, but in wildlife, and very concerningly, a pretty serious heroin trade, and even some indications of an emerging cocaine trade. So you have a lack of rule and law, you have underdevelopment, and you add to that what has been local grievances about that underdevelopment, combined with an increase in external fighters, matching up with local concerns and creating what has become quite a bit of conflict and eventually a humanitarian crisis. So the World Food Program has said that nearly a million people in the region are facing severe hunger. One official even said the crisis is beyond epic proportions. 
Talk to us about the humanitarian crisis that we're seeing in northern Mozambique. Yeah, we have a humanitarian crisis. The UN is uh, beginning to talk about this quite openly, which is important as we draw attention to how severe this has become. Uh, some of these statistics are really scary. We're talking about one third of, uh, of the 2.3 million people in Cabo Delgado being displaced. And they're being displaced in a couple of different directions. One is to Tanzania, where we're actually hearing a lot about borders being closed and pushed back for all kinds of reasons, but including COVID. Um, and then you have a big influx of people moving down towards Maputo and no real resources to be able to support them. And of course, they're fleeing in the wake of, as you said, Les has been a terrible violence. I mean, the kind of violence that is meant to uh, send a real message where beheadings, rape, all manner of human rights abuses. Amnesty International recently said um, that there were war crimes committed not only by insurgents, but also by mercenaries who have come in, in an attempt to protect the LNG development sites, but also to uh, amongst the um, soldiers, Mozambican soldiers who have been deployed to the region. So we have a group of people who are on every level facing deprivation, facing terror, and we, it's hard to imagine that this could get anything but worse until there is some kind of initial solution and dialogue and certainly a security perimeter beginning to be established. Morgan? No, I mean, I can completely agree with everything that Nicola said. I think, you know, one, one element that she points out is this um, sort of these foreign military contractors that are coming in. Um, we saw Wagner um, from, from Russia come into to Mozambique in 2019 Um allegedly committed, you know, mass human rights abuses, um, indiscriminately killing civilians. Then we saw um, DAG coming out of South Africa. That also, that contract was terminated earlier this month because of, um, or of, of allegedly bombing um, and civilians. I mean, I think this is, this is a massive problem that uh, the Mozambican military has. So we use the term uh, ASWJ earlier, that stands for Ansar al-Sunna Wajama to describe uh, this jihadist group that's operating in northern, northern Mozambique. We've also called it al-Shabaab. The Islamic State has taken credit uh, for some of the attacks that's going on, evidently allying itself with ASWJ. The Biden administration has started calling the group ISIS Mozambique. Talk about, about this group, what we know about them, What's its origin and, and how should we be thinking of them during this crisis? Sure, sure. So the, the group itself really sort of originated in, in 2010. Um, it, I think, as I mentioned before, it's sort of an Islamic subgroup coming out of northern Mozambique. And it's referred to locally as, as Al-Shabaab. Now, this is not to be confused with the Al-Shabaab that's in Somalia. Al-Shabaab is a term. It means the youth. So Al-Shabaab. Shabab Somalia allies itself, aligns itself with Al-Qaeda, um, and Al-Shabaab in northern Mozambique aligns itself with, with ISIS. Um, and that is more a sort of a more recent development that has really sort of come about within the past year or so, um, that that, uh, that alliance has sort of formed between the two groups. Um, I think more specifically with, with ISIS and that sort of affiliation, um, I mean, look, ISIS is, you know, has been severely um, has been severely, uh, has dwindled um, specifically in size and resources. Its territory was, um, was eliminated. Its leader, um, I mean, the United States killed Baghdadi. So ISIS is 
really sort of its um, sort of its regional affiliations to try to find a way to um, sustain its, its its operations. Sure, and just to add to that, I think there has been a lot of debate among analysts sort of what was the origin of this conflict? How did this particular group come together? Is it a cohesive group? Um, and that's something that I think is up for debate and is still being unpacked. We do know that there have been longstanding local grievances because of the poverty, because of the lack of resource profits being returned to the communities in Cabodogado, and that certainly predates all of this. We also know that um, there was a Kenyan imam who who was quite active in Kenya. In 2012, he was assassinated and many of his followers moved down to Tanzania um, and were able to find some uh, refuge there. In 2017, President Magafuli in Tanzania, uh, known for any number of uh, problematic policy decisions, cracked down. Um, And then in 2017, the same year that we really start seeing conflict come up in Mozambique, there are reports from locals in uh, Palma and in Cabo Delgado more broadly of foreign fighters, Tanzanians in particular, coming down into the region. Um, There's still a lot of question about how these groups have connected what the actual official relationship is to ISIS, to what degree has this been ISIS being opportunistic and watching the fact that you have resource developments um, and also quite a bit of lawlessness as well as a pretty healthy drug trade running through that region and is interested increasingly as it watched that conflict gain strength, um, a conflict that was originally really about beef with uh, Frelimo with the central government in Maputo. Um, but there's also, I think, Claire, it's very clear to um, all those who are watching the region that ISIS did at some point start sending resources of some kind, probably financial, uh, into the region in order to strengthen it. And now, of course, we have an endorsement by ISIS, including their um, uh, uh, accepting responsibility for the most recent attack that were particularly brutal in Palma. So, you know, we have connections. We don't know how deep and how longstanding they are, at least we don't from a non-government perspective. Um, But we do know that um, it's serious. We do know that the USG doesn't throw around terrorist designations. And so I think there's a lot of reason to suspect that there are some real connections here. I will say, uh, you know, that designation allows for an increased focus within the U.S. government and certainly across um, international actors to focus on what is an increasing crisis. It sort of forces that focus. Uh, one congressional staffer told me that uh, Maputo is like a JV squad playing in a very varsity game. And we have to look at that quite seriously from a national security and a humanitarian perspective. So I'll just remind our non-Africanist listeners uh, and viewers that uh, northern Mozambique borders right on southern Tanzania and folks fleeing Tanzania, the logical place for them to go is into northern Mozambique. Um, uh, and, and the places we're talking about, Cabo Delgado, are very much in northern Mozambique, which is a thousand miles or more away from the capital of Maputo. Uh, where, and so the connection between the Mozambican central government and what's going on in, in northern Mozambique is, is tenuous at best, arguably northern Mozambique closer to action in Tanzania than it is to uh, governmental structures for its, for its own country. Let's, let's talk about, um, uh, Nicole, you mentioned for Limo. 
for uh, older viewers and older listeners will remember that Mozambique was the uh, the site of a civil war between Ferlimo and Renamo for many years, uh, in part generated by the apartheid government of South Africa from long ago. Uh, Ferlimo is still the government in Mozambique. Renamo had largely given up the fight a couple of decades ago. How much of what we're seeing now in northern Mozambique is actually linked back to that earlier conflict between Ferlimo and Renamo? Sure. I think this is another one where there's a lot of questions, right? Anytime you have a conflict like this in an isolated area, it gets tricky when analysts like myself, like others, try to speak too much about what's happening. I would say that the view from Washington, D.C. is certainly not what it is um, from the Indian Ocean. But I will say that, and thank you for placing me among our oldest uh, <laughs> viewers. Beats but the alternative, I, Nicole. It does beat the alternative. Um, I will say... Renamo and Ferlimo have certainly had long time tensions, right? So as you said, Les, there's a 15 year civil war. It ends in 1992. Uh, Ferlimo, which was predominantly backed by uh, the Russians, the Soviet Union at the time, uh, comes out as the winner and has basically had control ever since. Renamo has sort of waxed and waned in terms of its ability to be an opposition party, but has increasingly been pushed back. There are a lot of questions um, as we're looking at the tactics being employed, less so the beheadings, but more so the attempt to surround cities and some of the other tactical measures that a number of folks who have watched Renamo for some time are suggesting are really familiar tactics from Renamo. Um, I think it would be far too early and certainly I wouldn't be in a position to say that there are formal relationships there at all, but it is something um, that everyone is, is watching. You can certainly make a connection that local grievances in the area could be exploited by or considered to be in sympathies with Renamo or others that have real concern about how Frilimo, um has approached the region or how Frilimo governs. Just to follow up less on, on one thing you said in a minute ago, um, about the sort of dubious connection, or at least the um, distant connection between Maputo and Cabo Delgado. I will say, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Nusi, the president, is from Cabo Delgado. So we sort of have this uh, additional relationship to the region that, that hasn't been in place before. We also know that at any number of times, we have seen serious drug traffickers um, engage with, or in fact, be picked up by international uh, law enforcement in Maputo. So there are pretty, there, we believe that there are pretty strong ties between some of the illegal activity happening in northern Mozambique and off the coast with possibly more centralized structures. Again, this is not a government that is known for its strength of independent institutions. So again, uh, Mozambique, a fairly obscure country for most Americans, uh, at one time, uh, at a per capita basis, the poorest country in the world. That's not really true anymore. Uh, there was this massive discovery of natural gas resources off the coast of northern Mozambique uh, back in about 2010. Uh, development has started, uh, has started, um, uh, you know, kind of across the board there. So things have really changed in Mozambique. How much is this insurrection, this jihadist movement related to the fact that Mozambique has made this huge energy uh, discovery in the region? So, so Les, it's, it's a good question. And it's, it's one that actually, 
IS or ISIS, Mozambique or Al-Shabaab, as the locals call it, actually addressed last June. Um, so in an op-ed in, in a news bulletin, and the ISIS news bulletin, not that I regularly read these things, but um, <laughs> ISIS sort of made the claim that you know, Western countries are only interested in exploiting Mozambique's natural resources, which is actually interesting because China's been doing it for years. So never mind China, but no, it's, it's, it's the Western countries that are trying to exploit you know, uh, uh, Mozambique's LNG resources. But as, as Nicole mentioned earlier, you know, Mozambique is blessed with many natural resources, you know, including arable farmland, um, wildlife, it has the, the, the longest, fifth largest coastline in the world for any country. Um, but its proved natural gas reserves are on the continent to, to Algeria and, and Nigeria. And so um, in 2019, actually not too long ago, French company Total, um, acquired the U.S. and Andarco's operated interest in, um, which was about round up four billion, um, and so we've seen really sort of transform the region, really, in creating this huge investment, probably about twenty billion dollars worth, which is the largest investment on the continent thus far. So. There's a lot of potential there for, for economic development, but whether or not that's going to be really thrown into question, particularly with instability in the region. Um, back in December, um, Total had already um, sort of limited the number of, of, of workers at the facility because of COVID. Um, they ended up stopping operations and essentially shipping them. Um, so, while they're still on track and, um, for of the project in tr- construction in 2024, it's still, um, it, it's a question whether or not if this incident continues, whether or not they're going to be able to meet that deadline. Nicole. Yeah. Um, I think this is a really important question. So thanks. And Morgan, that history is pretty critical here. Um, you know, in terms of concerns about uh, Western multinationals being in play, I would say that, uh, those who live in northern Mozambique, and frankly, a lot of folks who live in Africa have some reason to be uh, concerned about whether they will be the beneficiaries of the profits that come from the exploitation of their resources. Uh, certainly in Mozambique, that remains alive and well. We have to remember that Renamo was backed in this civil war that we just talked about uh, by uh, not only the apartheid government in South Africa, but, but also the United States at that time. So there's a lot of complicated history here. Um, and then, of course, we have U.S. companies like ExxonMobil who don't have the very best track record in other parts of the um, the continent. So there is, I think, some skepticism. In addition, um, we know that uh, as Total has gone in, there has been increasing focus uh, on the potential for all of these resources to come in. Interestingly, um, some investors have started to look at building downstream plants in order to actually potentially capture some of uh, the the spoils of this for the region and for Mozambique in particular. So as the um, violence has increased, I do think, as you said, Morgan, with the pullout of... um, 
of ENI, actually ENI remains in place, of ExxonMobil and of Total, which is now left for the second time, uh, there are real questions about whether they will, will come to fruition at all. And that's a concern not only for economic development in Mozambique and in the region, but there was you know, a lot of expectation that this would uh, be a real part of the gas market moving forward. And it doesn't look like that's necessarily going to happen unless things come under control. Nicole, let's start with you on this question. We don't traditionally think of Mozambique as a place where the U.S. has a lot of interests. Why should Americans care about what's happening in Mozambique right now? So I think there's a lot of reasons to care. I mean, as a starter, we have uh, a terrorist designation now, right? So the U.S. has uh, released the formal designation of ISIS in the area. That's obviously of serious concern. We don't know from outside government exactly how strong those ties are. I think it's important to say that again. Um, but there's clearly enough of a link that the U.S. government felt that this was the moment to designate. So they're in it now. Uh, we know that in, in lots of different ways, but also because special operations forces have now gone to Mozambique to try and support the military in getting control of this situation that has been at the invitation, clearly, of the Mozambican government, despite that sort of concern historically around foreign intervention. Um, but so now we have boots on the ground, right? So this sort of rises to the level of national security concern that is of, of greatest importance um, by our government. In addition, we these um, the implications of this conflict really do reach pretty far beyond Mozambique. Uh, we have an area of um, the trafficking, the trafficking I spoke about earlier is international. So when you think about the heroin alone, heroin comes from Afghanistan through Mozambique on its way to Europe. With increasing reports of cocaine trafficking, we're talking about connections all the way to the other side of the world. Um, these are really concerning for any number of reasons, but also because they provide very serious resources for potentially ISIS and any other group that's able to go in and exploit an area without real rule of law or any governance structure. It also, if the... Um, the conflict doesn't come under control, really does invite questions of who's going to be going in uh, to, br to bring order. And that could be any number of, of foreign forces. And that has been a very complicated situation in the course of African history. So as we think about how to begin to support what could be a resolution to this crisis, we need to be extremely mindful that the U.S. government does need to care a lot about what the outcome of this is. Morgan. Yeah, just to I agree, again, agree with everything Nicole said, but I think what we're, it's important to note here that you know, what we're seeing in Mozambique is a very specific example of how violent extremist groups gain footholds and then cause broader regional security and then potentially global security challenges, right? Um, I mean, I think we've reached this point in the crisis where the only the only responses that the United States can provide are either military or humanitarian, right? Um, we are sort of past the point of, of sort of development and democracy and governance programming and any other sort of foreign assistance programming for the North that might stem the tide of, of Islamic extremism. Um, this, again, this has been going on for you know, some time and it hasn't really been addressed either by the government in Maputo, the region, or, or, or you know, the international community. Um, and so I think what we've seen here is this sort of delayed response that has created more of a challenge that everyone is forced to address later on. And how is the Biden administration responding to this crisis? Morgan, if you want to go first. 
Well, sure. So I'm, I'll actually start with, with sort of what the Trump administration did, right? Since, you know, we, since Trump actually sort of, sort of stayed for, for the Biden administration board. Um, now, granted, Trump administration didn't really do a lot at the beginning. Um, Nathan Sales, the uh, sort of the U.S. coordinator for counterterrorism, didn't actually travel to Maputo um, to sort of address this issue until literally like the, the administration. And so then following him, um, Anthony Tata, uh, the Trump administration's, um, he was performing the duties of the Undersecretary of Policy for Defense. He literally went to Maputo in like the last 12 days of the administration and actually had really good m- meetings with the ministers of defense and interior where they sort of sort of mapped out a plan for how the United States can provide training and um, sort of other sort of security assistance. So I think that helped, but it just way too late. It, it never should have gotten to, to this point. Right. Um, and so I think the, also, you know, the, as Nicole mentioned, you know, there was the foreign terrorist designation, um, which, of course, was, was very helpful and sent a really strong message. Um, the Biden administration has, has continued this momentum, sending special operations forces, um, I believe, March. So, so seeing a response here, I think it's, it's important to note here that Mozambique actually asked for U.S. support. That's, that's pretty significant, just given Mozambique's luck to um, sort of engage and, and bring in sort of the inter- in foreign forces. Um, so I think there's there's a recognition here that they need help. Um, this type of work, though, is AFRICOM's bread and butter, right? AFRICOM has a very limited footprint in Southern Africa, so a little bit of resources go a really long way. And so it's it really sort of signifies um, the fact that you know, DOD is now involved, is that this has really gotten sort of admirable. Nicole. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, just to piggyback on Morgan's point, I, I do think there's some bread and butter in this for AFRICOM, but I would also say that I saw a quote recently from the deputy uh, at uh, Special Ops Command for Africa saying, I'm paraphrasing here, but how did we get to this place? No one could have seen this coming uh, so quickly. And, you know, that's, Concerning because a lot of people, certainly Mozambicans in the region, civil society, human rights reporters, investigative reporters, uh, rather in addition to human rights activists, did see this coming. And um, I think that underscores the importance for the United States government to listen to a broader variety of actors when we think about uh, where we're going on national security conflicts. So that's just just one piece. I um, certainly the Biden administration, I think, is taking this seriously, right? The, the designation suggests that. Um, but this isn't only a uh, security uh, response. It, it, we're not going to fix this just by uh, sending in any kind of foreign intervention. We've seen that movie a whole bunch before. I agree that a humanitarian aspect of this is critical and can be done through the UN and, and other bodies that are better equipped to do this. And we can certainly fund that. But I do think it's important that we think about how the U.S. can support dialogue, even in such a complicated and tricky place, even with the designation, particularly because we aren't clear exactly what the presence of ISIS looks like in the region to try and find a solution. Um, This is something that certainly African governments are going to care about. No one's been a big fan of, of bringing in outsiders to fix problems that have started at home. And I think we do want to take that 
approach into consideration before we move too fast, particularly because we have all manner of allies in the region, including South Africa, who remains um, important. Uh, one last question. What kind of alternatives are there? You mentioned uh, promoting dialogue. Is there a peacekeeping option here, either through the United Nations or through uh, the African Union or SADC, the, the sub-regional group? Is there, is there some alternative here to conflict? Nicole? Sure. Um, let's hope so, right? Um, because otherwise this could escalate um, in ways that are worse. And it's hard to think of, of what could be worse than what's been happening recently. I think we need to pay attention to what the region wants, but let's also be smart about that. Um, uh, there's an interesting story about Mozambicans trying to take this into their own hands. Uh, this recent attack in Palma that, that has been in the news with the beheadings of both locals and foreigners. Um, it was so horrific and so um, acute that there are reports of there being a Dunkirk moment just off the coast in which boats that were that local boats, fishermen, um, uh, some military boats, uh, transit ships that were going through for all manner of reasons, hopefully legitimate, possibly not, came to the aid of um, civilians who were stuck in the region. So we really saw um, <laughs> what can only be described as a regional, potentially international response to try and help people out of this situation. That drew a lot of attention. I think that really sort of ticked up the importance of SADC, so the Southern Africa Development Community, the regional block under the African Union that is intended to pay attention to the economic and security priorities of the region. Um, they are not known for the swiftest action imaginable, nor the most effective, but we did see SADC call a head of state level emergency summit to consider, it's called an extraordinary summit uh, technically, but to consider what the options are in the region and to think about how they could help their neighbor, um, rightfully so. What came out of that meeting officially was agreement to support a technical investigation or a technical mechanism to be able to go to Mozambique and look at this. Now, I think it's perfectly fine and, and frankly quite important for there to be investigations, for there to be witness of all of these problems and to meet with, with actors both in Maputo and elsewhere. But um, it doesn't signal the kind of urgency of the problem that I think we have. But on the other extreme, um, interestingly, President Menengagwa, Emerson Menengagwa of Zimbabwe, again, a country that has really struggled with its own stabilization issues and certainly around governance and corruption, came out of this meeting and told the press sort of independently um, that he was interested in sending or at least working with SADC to send uh, Zimbabwean soldiers into the area. There is a both tragic and slightly comical element to that in that uh, Zimbabwean security forces are implicit in any number of human rights abuses, but that includes the exploitation and illegal smuggling of alluvial diamonds in Zimbabwe. So to send this particular force into a research rich and uh, poor, poorly governed region um, raises a whole lot of red flags. Morgan, what do you think? Is Zimbabwe the answer? <laughs> yeah, you know, I love Zim. <laughs> no, I, I again, I, I agree with Nicole there. Um, look, SADC is not ECOWAS. Um, ECOWAS has, you know, is, is another regional, it's the West African security body. And it, it's definitely performed remarkably well in West Africa, but SADC just, 
they are not at the same level, right? Um, and so I think, Les, you also mentioned um, the possibility of a UN peacekeeping operation. I, I certainly hope uh, the UN Security Council would, would not um, approve a mandate for, for a peacekeeping mission. Look, peacekeeping, there is no, there is no political body in Northern Mozambique to, to, to negotiate with. There is no political solution to this, right? Um, this is a, a counterterrorism operation. This is not a peacekeeping operation. There's no peace to keep, right, in northern Mozambique. And so I, th- I think that the, the tool of a peacekeeping mission would assemb- essentially be a fig leaf for just throwing resources at the problem, really then sort of trying to fix, trying to fix it for the long term. Uh, we'll I leave it there. Add, Nicole, do you want the last word? Sure. I just wanted to add quickly to that, which is to say, um, I don't think we should be so quick to dismiss attention from the UN as being pretty potentially important here. We have a regional conflict. It has international components to it. Um, I would be thrilled, frankly, to see the Security Council take this up as a real problem and to consider what was possible. I would suggest strongly that that be done in cooperation with the African Union, which absolutely will have and want to have input on this and has been involved in conflict resolution on the continent previously. I agree when you have sort of a terrorist component to this, it gets far more complicated, but I do think um, we could look at ways to bring the temperature down, uh, particularly in places where the conflict may be still more local and more about grievances with the government. We'll leave it there. Nicole, Morgan, thanks for joining us on NSI Live today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for this presentation from the National Security Institute. Find out more about the Institute and upcoming events at nationalsecurity.gmu.edu. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at MasonNatSec. If you like what we are doing here, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so that more people can find our show. We'd like to thank Claude Jennings for editing and Grant Haver for production assistance.